0: This is WMNF Tampa. Stay tuned for True Talk, which is a pre-recorded show. Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5 with uh, Ahmed and Summer. This is Ahmed Badir, my co-host Summer jarrah is with me and um we're again turning our attention to what's happening in Gaza with the ongoing uh, a war uh, assault many people are calling genocide so one sided uh, assault on Gaza and it's now claimed over 11,000 uh lives some say as high as 15,000 because there's thousands are are account- unaccounted for most of those over 70% are women and children and um some 4,000 to 5,000 children have already been killed. Somewhere, um, just yesterday, the United Nations Security Council, for the first time, passed the resolution uh, calling for uh, urgent and extended humanitarian pause. What does that mean?
1: It means, I guess, uh, giving uh, the uh, people a chance to take a breath and uh, maybe uh, continue the negotiation to release some hostages. And uh, it's, uh, you know, people in the Arab world are not happy with it because uh, it does not explicitly uh, talks about uh, the crimes committed by uh, Israel. There is a kind of equation mm. uh, missing there. Uh, but at least, you know, the U.S. could have uh, vetoed, uh, but it did not. and The U.S.? The...
0: U.S. abstained, Russia, yeah. So uh,
1: and the United Mm -hmm. Kingdom abstained.
0: So there's 15 members on the United, the U.N. Security Council, which is the only binding body that has power at the United Nations, Um, and uh, the U.K., U.S., Russia, France, and China have veto power. And um, none of them vetoed it. This is the first time there was no veto. This is the fifth attempt to pass something. And three abstained Russia, UK, and the U.S. for different reasons. So the resolution passed for the first time. And it's basically saying that um, the resolution, which was actually introduced by the tiny country of Malta, uh, called for, quote, corridors throughout the Gaza Strip for a sufficient number of days. didn't specify how many days and designed to safeguard civilians, particularly children. And uh, it needs to, I guess, be enough time to spread the aid to these uh, different places. At the same time this was going on, the Israeli military was uh, attacking or raiding Al Shifa Hospital, the largest hospital uh, in Gaza, which, by the way, we're going to speak to our guest later today. Our guest today is Steve Salsby from um, PCRF, which is called the Palestine. Children Relief Fund. So what did you, were you surprised about this raid on Shifa Hospital and what did they do there, uh, they,
1: they tried to uh, claim that uh, there is uh, Hamas Nod, N-O-D-E in the Shifa Hospital, but I think uh, they didn't find anything. They planted a few um, uh, <laughs> like uh, a few books, uh, Qurans, a bag that has a few uh, bombs and uh, dates, dates uh, and really uh, hilarious propaganda cheap shot by the IDF. And people are mocking them all over uh, social media. But I think they are trying to uh, really destroy the infrastructure in Gaza uh, to make it uh, very difficult uh, for people to seek medical care And uh, you know that half the population of Gaza are under 18 young people uh, who need uh, services like hospitals. And this is ethnic cleansing going on under the uh, uh, cameras of the world. Uh, That's what's going on. And this is why, Ahmed, so many people in the Arab world are not very pleased with the UN resolution, but it's better Uh, than nothing. Another thing that is interesting is this rally that took place uh, in Washington, D.C., the No ceasefire Fire uh, rally. I don't know what you thought about it, but it's quite uh, interesting. It it was kind of shameful.
0: Yeah, it's it's, as you said, it's like, you know, the the combination of the people that spoke there, and you and I were talking before this, and usually protests that have happened in Washington, D.C., marches or protests, have been to protest against something the government, or you want the government to do something that they're not already doing, so you go there to protest. You know, there was a march with Martin Luther King and there are other marches, and you are always been usually against wars. There was protest against the Vietnam War. And this is kind of the first rally that I've seen in Washington, D.C. that's pro-war, and in some ways pro-genocide. People chanting, no, ceasefire" instead of, you know, calling for a ceasefire. And, in fact, this guy, Van Jones, who comes on CNN and said, you know, I'm usually a peace guy. And they started shouting him down, saying, no, cease fire. And then they had people like uh, Hagee, Pastor Hagee, who's a known anti semite And uh, somebody who said, actually praised Hitler and said, you know, Hitler was a good thing, that God sent Hitler in order for Jews to go and create, you know, Israel. And somebody like that even spoke at the rally. I don't know what your other comments are about that.
1: Uh, Actually, uh, I also read that students were paid $250 to go uh, and their expenses paid. But I think, Ahmed, we need to uh, wrap up our interesting conversation because we have to talk to Steve Sossett.
0: Yeah, we actually have another uh, minute and a half. Thank you for clarifying that. So I was going to tell you when that time is, so I don't know.
1: My math is always terrible.
0: And like you said earlier, and we're going to talk to Steve socially about this. And by the way, Steve is coming to Tampa tonight. There's going to be a program at the American Youth Academy for PCRF. It's kind of a fundraiser to help uh, provide relief for children. Now they're going to open up these human humanitarian corridors and provide some aid. The first aid that's needed are for these injured ch- children, which PCRF works on. It's going to be tonight, seven o'clock at the American Youth Academy. And I think you can go to the PCRF website to find out more um, about that. But we are now, um, I guess, coming to the conclusion. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be speaking to Steve Sosoby from PCRF. This is True Talk on WMNF. Back To true talk on WMNF 88.5 with Ahmed and Summer, and now we're joined by the founder of the Palestine Children's Relief Fund, Steve Sosby. Um, good morning, Steve. Good morning. So, the latest uh, news out of uh, Gaza right now is that the Israeli military is moving in and has moved in into Al Shifa Hospital and is um basically conducting some raids there what is the latest that you're hearing
2: yeah i mean that's i think what everybody's getting the same information about um shifa being what's well, been besieged for quite some time now surrounded slowly and strangled slowly over the course of the last month and it was a very gradual process and then it's accelerated in the last couple of days to the point now where um you know there's two factors taking place on the israeli side um, conducting a military operation on a, a civilian uh, hospital And on the Palestinian side, preparing for um, the inevitable killing, either through trauma and violence that's uh, of of an occupying army coming into their institution or patients dying as a result of electricity being cut and uh, supplies and equipment and staff being denied, the ability to treat their patients. They dug yesterday a mass grave in the courtyard for 180 bodies and 40 patients died yesterday uh, within the hospital as a result of um, the lack of adequate care, um, the run, the fact that fuel has not been delivered to the hospital since October sixth, and this means that um, you know the ongoing uh, the inability to provide basic life support services for patients, particularly babies in the neonatal department, patients on ventilators in the intensive care unit, and not being able to run the operating theater. Anesthesia machines, lights, uh, infusion pumps, uh, dialysis machines, so on and so forth. The basics that every hospital provides for their patients is now being denied to the people in Shifa Hospital. Your organization,
0: PCRF, Palestine uh, Children's Relief Fund, has been operating since 1991 and has worked in Gaza. This is not the first war that they've endured. This is not the first assault or invasion uh, by Israel. How is this different than before?
2: Well, I think the extent, the the depth of uh, cruelty and uh, destruction uh, is far greater than what we've ever seen before. And we've been through these uh, types of bombing campaigns in the past. There was a fifty five day one back in twenty fourteen that resulted in a huge number of casualties, including children. Uh, but we've never seen the viciousness and uh, that we've seen in the past five and a half weeks. Um, to the extent where food is being denied people. um, 40% of the homes so far have been destroyed in Gaza. Um, Hospitals are being shut down. 22 of the 36 hospitals are non-functioning as a result of not having fuel, Um, that there is a lack of clean water, that 1.5 million people have been displaced. Uh, The majority of those are children now living in um, UN schools, living in tents, living in the streets. In substandard housing, um, without food, without, without clean water, without showers, without toilets, without adequate clothing, um, we've never seen this extent, uh, and we've never seen the number of deaths. We, you know, we have 4,500 documented deaths of children, and we have another 1,500 missing children who are presumed to be buried under rubble. And uh, the extent of this uh, human tragedy, this uh, what is clearly and can be described as a genocide committed against the children in Gaza has never been seen before. And the argument is even that it's not been seen in modern history. It is true that we've seen huge conflicts and uh, in, in the impact that it's had on civilians and innocent people in Syria and Iraq and in Yemen and even you know Bur- uh, uh, Myanmar and other places all over the world. But here in Gaza, you have a situation where the civilian population has nowhere to go. They cannot leave. They are stuck behind walls. They're stuck behind fences and uh, there is no refuge for them, unlike these other conflicts that I mentioned. And if you add to it the fact that there are no safe areas, there are no protected areas in the Gaza Strip, whether one's in their home or in a UN school or in a hospital or in a mosque or in a church or in any place designated as a civilian structure, um, that still we've seen those structures bombed on a regular basis. Uh, And the result has been just this catastrophic casualty toll, which will uh, leave, which will scar Gaza for the rest of everyone's lives. And it should scar the consciousness of the international community, which claimed to uphold international law and human rights. You're in contact, I'm sure, with
0: people in Gaza, despite the communication outages. What are the people in Gaza? What are you hearing from the people in Gaza that What do they think the Israeli plan is here? What is Israel trying to accomplish in Gaza? Because they keep invoking that they want to get the hostages yet. They keep bombing. They keep saying they want to wipe out um, Hamas, but they just are mostly killing civilians and children. I mean, I read something somewhere like it's less than 100 Hamas people that have been killed. Fighters, maybe something like 60. I I saw a number that's 95% of the people getting killed are civilians. Majority of them, over seventy percent, are women and children. So, what do people feel like um, Israel's trying to do? What are, What do the Palestinians feel like Israel's
2: trying to do in Gaza? Well, the conversations I've had with my friends, with our staff, with doctors on the ground in Gaza, and that's really the people I deal with. And those are hundreds and hundreds of friends and colleagues and and others that we work with. I don't have conversations about the Israeli intentions or any kind of political discussions with them because there's no time. Just Mm. the communication I have with with our friends and colleagues there is basically asking them if they're alive Mm. and and just checking in on them. But I think it's pretty well documented that, um, you know, this is not a war uh, against Hamas per se as it is against the Gaza people. And uh, there are, uh, you know, very strong indications that the intention of the Israeli government is to rid... Gaza, of its people, and to eliminate this, uh, this, uh, let's just say, ongoing issue that they have of 2.2 million refugees, 2.2 million displaced and impoverished and besieged Arabs living within the borders of Israel, which have no equal rights. Uh, Most of them, 70% of them, can trace their roots back to homes inside what is now Israel, and make strong legal claims to being able to return to those homes or be adequately compensated for being uprooted violently in 1948 um, from those homes. Um, and And this is an ongoing political challenge, which it doesn't seem anybody has the political courage to resolve in a just and comprehensive manner. And as a result, this ongoing issue of Gaza and what to do about Gaza from an Israeli point of view is that it needs to be eliminated if they're not going to make peace with and provide equality to the inhabitants of the west bank and gaza strip and continue to subject them uh, and subjugate them to uh unequal uh, policies and um imp- impose their occupation by force and the use of force then the solution then on this gaza issue is to continue to use force and hopefully for them find a solution that would uh prevent gaza from existing anymore this is why the arguing can be made that the obvious uh if you were to study the manner in which the israelis are using their weapons and destroying the basic core infrastructure and civil civic society of the gaza people which is their hospitals their institutions their schools um, their universities um, which is all of those are destroyed now virtually all of them um the core infrastructure, the water treatment plant, the desalination plants, those have been destroyed or non-functioning any longer. Um, the roads and the, the basic core uh, infrastructure that provides people the necessity of an economy and to live, those are all have been destroyed. Those aren't military targets. Those are political targets. Those are trying to solve a political problem through the use of violence and force, which we've seen in this part of the world and this issue of the palestine israel question since 1948 and it's never solved anything other than create a whole new round of uh of suffering and anger and resistance
1: if you're just joining, yes if you're just joining us this is true talk on wmnf 88.5 fm we are talking to steve soseby who is president and founder of pcrf which is the primary humanitarian organization in Palestine delivering crucial life-saving medical relief and humanitarian aid. Uh, Steve, I want to talk about the uh, toll on uh, children. It seems uh, that uh, according to statistics, almost 5,000 young children have been killed. This is a very, very high uh, casualty number. And uh, I want you to tell us um, Uh, The reason, if you know, uh, I know you mentioned that there are no shelters and nowhere to uh, escape. And I want you to tell us what is it exactly that PCRF does in uh, Palestine Uh, because the New York Times published an article, a long one, in which it spoke in details on the amazing level of coordination and work And uh, contacts from the White House to the State Department, to Egypt, to Jordan, uh, to Israel, in order just to let 21 babies leave. And I know that your organization and your wife were involved with this effort. Just 21 babies to leave to get medical care. So could you please uh, address this?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, PCRF was set up, I I founded it over 30 years ago with the intention of providing any kind of humanitarian aid to children. On the ground in the west bank in gaza and i strongly believe that we have to adjust our programs and and efforts based on what the needs are and the circumstances in which we find ourselves at the at this time um, you know over over the last year our goal was really to develop the health services and and to build up infrastructure and to identify gaps in the health sector to improve the overall quality of care and save lives and reduce referrals out of the public sector uh, and to improve the quality of care in various specializations. Now, that's all destroyed for the moment. I mean, it might not ever come back to the point where we can strategically intervene in the health sector in the manner in which we'd like to. Um, now, it's more of an existential issue of trying to save the lives of innocent children who are e- either being denied access to medical care or being injured in, in uh, very serious circumstances for the long-term rehabilitation of uh, in their lives. So what we've done in this particular story that was in the New York Times yesterday, it's on the front page of the newspaper today, or yesterday, I'm not sure. Uh, which is that we were helped. We helped coordinate logistically on the ground the uh, treat the patients who were in our cancer department. So we opened in 2019 in Gaza, the first and only pediatric cancer department, um, which had been providing hundreds of children there with cancer um, access to free care they otherwise couldn't get. And in addition to the treatment, we had a child life service there. We were um, providing emergency stock of chemotherapy drugs to ensure that the treatment was continuous and not fragmented by um, the closure and the siege that Gaza's been under since 2006. Uh, So, you know, we're very proud of this accomplishment. It was actually a symbol of hope and a symbol of healing in Gaza, and that department in the Rantisi hospitals now has been closed and significantly impacted since October 7th in its ability to provide the life-saving treatment that children with cancer needed. So the alternative was that if these kids go a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever amount of time without treatment, they relapse. The cancer comes back, and in some cases, these children die Um, You know, with the huge number of casualties, you mentioned 4,500, that's omitting the 1,500 who are missing, and we're going to presume that those are children buried under rubble. Uh, Of the 6,000 children who have been killed since October 7th, this ghastly number, this crazy figure, which, you know, out of a a million children in Gaza is just beyond the scope of comprehension from a human point of view. If we're able to save the life of one child or 10 children or 20 children, we have to put our full effort and uh, and resources into that. So we were able to get these kids out through coordination of uh, a lot of different organizations and governments. And uh, this hopefully will set a precedent for us to follow for the many injured children that I'm now uh, uh, documenting uh, who need medical treatment. I get every day and, and I'm working very hard to identify kids in Gaza who need medical treatment. The situation there is so chaotic, it's very hard to get this information, but we are obtaining it. And now we need to start transferring injured children out as well. And that's our next step. In addition, we have 25 more kids with cancer that we're trying to get out. The whole problem is affected by the inability of people to move. There's no gas, as we mentioned before. Fuel has not come into Gaza since the first week of October. Therefore, taxis and ambulances and the ability of people to move around is very much affected. In addition to that, is the um, inability to communicate. Tomorrow, all cellular services, phone connections, are going to be cut in Gaza due to lack of fuel. Uh, Again, so how do you communicate with families and tell them to go to the Rafa Crossing and go into Egypt when you're unable to reach them? That's also one of our challenges with communication and logistics. And then, of course, the security situation. People are living... uh, in deep fear every single day. And this is the point I wanted to make earlier, which is when asked about what our staff are saying there, they're trying to survive. Um, they're in a situation in which everywhere around them is being hit and bombs are, you know, destroying homes and destroying lives. And that's affecting every single person in Gaza. There's nobody who's safe in the entire Gaza Strip. It doesn't matter where you are at or what kind of shelter you have over your head or what kind of sh- symbol will be on the roof of that shelter, even a Red Cross or any kind of international symbol of a uh, neutrality or uh, of of being uh, a non-combatant uh, uh, institution, they've all been hit, and people have been killed in those institutions and in those places. So, um, what? we're trying to do as an organization is uh, respond to the needs on the ground. We're shipping in medical equipment and medical supplies whenever possible, and that's been highly restricted due to um, the decisions by the Egyptians and the Israelis to allow whatever amount of aid in at certain times. Yesterday, no aid came in at all because the fuel in the trucks in Gaza, uh, there is no fuel for the trucks to transport aid. Um, so if we can get injured kids out and help save the lives of these children, while we work hard to get aid in and food and water and sh- clothing and sanitation supplies and medication and medical equipment, that's an accomplishment. And that's what we're working on right now. Hopefully then in the future, having access back into Gaza and be able to send medical teams in to operate on children, relieve the exhausted medical staff and do assessments on the ground as to where we need to come in and intervene in the future to be able to provide our, um, our interventions to help um, save the lives and rebuild the health sector.
1: I would like to mention to our listeners, if you are interested in helping uh, Steve and PCRF, there is a fundraising going on on Thursday, uh, November 16 at 7 p.m. at the Athletic Center. Uh, The address is 5905 east 130th avenue it is uh, on thursday november 16 at 7 p.m pcrf is doing a fundraising to raise funds to send uh, medical supplies and equipment and also as steve mentioned uh, sometimes they uh, work very hard on bringing uh, patients out of gaza and i know uh, uh, steve that actually when uh, this uh, whole war started you pcrf had some Uh, Medical personnel in Gaza, can you tell us, uh, do you send uh, medical um, staff uh, to Gaza to operate or to do uh, training? What is it exactly? Because I was following you on Twitter and you seemed working so frantically to get these people outside uh, Gaza uh, as soon as uh, the war broke out.
2: Yeah, we're the main organization in the world that sends volunteer medical teams into the Gaza Strip and have been doing that for nearly 30 years. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, our goal is to really um, build up the health sector by training local doctors and providing urgent medical treatment for injured and sick children. We've been doing that in a variety of different specializations which don't currently exist inside the local health sector, which include uh, open-heart surgery for babies with congenital heart disease, uh, pediatric orthopedic surgery, spine surgery, eye surgery, Um, general pediatric surgery pediatric urology we were developing the picu services pediatric intensive care neonatal intensive care general icu care we were developing emergency services we were developing transporting critically care injured children on the ground through different institutions and training doctors and nurses to uh, transport patients uh, and make sure that they were safe uh, during that transport and a lot of other different types of programs on the ground there which were ad- addressing gaps and defects in the health system and we're the main organization doing that that was something that set us apart from others and unfortunately as i mentioned uh, we're not able to do that now given the crisis on the ground but we have volunteers on the uh, going on a regular basis we had Two people in Gaza at the time, uh, Dr. Barbara Lynn, who's a pediatrician, and she was there to uh, evaluate and assess the kids who are in our monthly sponsorship program. We have a sponsorship program for children with chronic medical conditions, which their families cannot afford to help provide them the basic medication or other humanitarian services that they need. We find sponsors outside who give a certain amount every month to cover a specific child's medical and condition and needs. And then Barb was there, Dr. Zinn was there to assess these kids and make sure that whatever support we're providing them was met what their exact needs were. So she was there to see around 300 kids. In addition to that, we had uh, Ramona Akamura from Seattle who was a prosthetic and orthotic specialist. And she was there in our uh, program to develop the support for children who are amputees in Gaza to ensure that they got uh, adequate um, uh, prosthetics uh, to become independent to be able to uh, operate and function on the ground there independently go to school, uh, in some cases uh, even have jobs and, and be mobile which uh, you know is a huge huge blessing for them and that was her job. So both of them were there and were stuck there for nearly a month until we were able to finally get them out in the first wave of uh of people who left uh, through the Rafah crossing but it was quite dicey for them for a significant amount of time as food ran out as water ran out as the um uh, sheltering and in the place that they were staying with because becoming crowded with refugees um they were uh, in a very precarious situation so we're fortunate we got them out but unfortunately those conditions have only worsened for people on the ground in gaza uh, we're speaking to uh, Steve Sosby of
0: the uh, Palestine Children's Relief um, um, Fund, and we're speaking about the situation. As uh, you mentioned earlier, that uh, Israel has been bombing all this different infrastructure: water plants, electrical, um, you know, hospitals, schools, bakeries, food places. Basically, there's no food. There's no water. And there's no electricity uh, to sustain life there. It seems uh, an even water sewage treatment plants. Uh, an outside observer, and I think many analysts have, uh, you know, at, you know, basically observed this that they're actually destroying the things that sustain life. And by doing so, it makes it impossible for people to continue living in Gaza. Um, pointing the argument that they don't want people to live in Gaza, they just want to push them into Egypt. And even if the bombing, if there's a ceasefire now, which many people are calling for in the United States um, and a few other countries are opposed to, if a ceasefire and the bombing stops now, um, how will people even survive later? Uh, Because some have observed that even if there is a ceasefire um, without these hospitals and maybe disease would spread, that you'd even have more people dying from disease, not from bombs, from lack of, from starvation and no clean water, Um, So is that a concern? And what is PCRF and other organizations that are providing relief anticipating would happen if a ceasefire takes place now? Because it seems like it would be a race against time to save people from these type of outbreaks that would actually could claim more lives much faster. And Israel can just claim, well, we're not bombing anybody. We stopped the bombing. I
2: mean, what comes next in the next phase of this war is the most critical one um the acute phase we're in right now or hyper acute phase if that's what you want to call it um is beyond anyone's ability to have any real impact um you know it's it's up to governments to put an end to this uh ceas- ceaseless violence and it's up to um those of us who are running organizations who have the responsibility um to intervene when possible to then come in and put together. Uh, responses on the ground that address the specific needs of the population Um, this may be just in the basic uh, basic necessities of food and water and clothing or it may be um, uh, rebuilding the health institutions and um, trying to rebuild structures so people have places to live during the winter as the whole uh, um, community gets rebuilt the whole city of gaza gets rebuilt And then Gaza Strip in general has been, you know, pretty badly hit. So it would be a comprehensive rebuilding of the Gaza Strip. We're far from that right now. We're not far from the discussion and the planning. We're far from getting to the point where we can actually come in and use our resources uh, and to have an impact on rebuilding Gaza, the health sector, the education sector, the infrastructure. All of that needs huge amounts of investment and also needs strategic planning and ensure that, You know, the investment that people are going to put in is used the most effective way and efficiently and not either mismanaged or, you know, stolen or, you know, what happens in all of these kind of crises when people, uh, you know, do not use the opportunity to help in the most effective way. Um, That's critical that this starts, these discussions start taking place now. We are starting coalitions of organizations to discuss these in more detail the impact that we're going to have in the health sector, and also to think about what other opportunities there are for us to rebuild in a way that can impact the lives in education and social support in um, long-term re-healing and rebuilding for the children of Gaza. There's so much that needs to be done. There's so much that we have to do, and there's so much resources that are available to implement these ideas and these programs and these necessary projects. It just takes uh, coordination, cooperation, unity, leadership, And and not to give up and not to be make this a short term or short sighted endeavor, but one which has the long term impact and long term goals of rebuilding. But we have to be sure that what what we rebuild is not going to be destroyed again. Therefore, there needs to be some kind of political solution to this conflict, which never seems to end. And we know what that political solution is, but nobody has the courage to bring it onto the table and start addressing it. And until that's done, it's gonna be very difficult for the people of Gaza um, to feel secure, to have uh, to rebuild their lives. And it's also gonna be very difficult for the people in the region to feel secure and to put an end to this conflict once and for all. I mean, how, how are people going to feel secure um,
0: when it's just relentless bombing and killing so many children if you want yeah. to have peace it just if you want to have peace and you want to get rid of Hamas, you don't do that by killing all these children would who would grow up to also see that violence is the only solution because that's the only language that israel has been using against the palestinians it's just this uh, frustrating double standard speaking of rebuilding your own office in Gaza the PCRF office in Gaza was actually destroyed on May 17th in 2021 um, or partially destroyed with an airstrike by an Israeli airstrike on i guess you're um, near the Ministry of Health so this is not the first time that hospitals and the health sector within Gaza has been you know under attack did you guys rebuild since then were you rebuilding did you have difficulty rebuilding and I mean, that's just on a small scale. Now it seems like half of Gaza, maybe if not more, of the buildings have actually been destroyed. Um, How do you go about rebuilding all of that? And who's going to pay for all this? Is anyone ever going to be held accountable for this type of just indiscriminate? um, Well, it seems very deliberate to me, at least in my opinion, uh, attacks on civilian and infrastructure.
2: Well, you asked a lot of questions there. Yeah, so just...
0: Mm -hmm. uh, I'll try my best. Rebuilding the offices and uh, you don't have to you don't have to reply
2: to the other things that I mentioned out of just venting frustration because uh, no, these are I things I think about. Yeah. They don't have answers anyways. Well on the issue of our office, yes, we were our office was completely destroyed and uh, in 2021, uh, fortunately, nobody was there or hurt. But our, we, the smart people in Gaza don't buy, they rent uh, because of these reasons exactly. So we had rented our office. We moved to another rented office uh, further from any potential targets. And one has to wonder why the Ministry of Health would be a target. But nonetheless, that's what they were aiming for in 2021. In 2023, uh, three weeks ago, our office was destroyed again uh, through another airstrike uh, in the building in which we were renting. So again, nobody was in the office, thankfully. But uh, again, we have to rebuild and, and remove and move again when the time comes. But right now, again, we're in the hyper-acute phase of survival. And uh, our staff on the ground there are just trying to survive. And And this is what our main focus is. So um, until we get past this period of existential threat to the very lives of our staff and their families um our main focus is their well-being when speaking of well-being yeah. and i'm just going to turn Go it over to you some
0: just as a follow-up okay. when we're about my other comment about these children that are getting killed and the trauma that they're facing their well-being is also important how do you address their needs post this violence and to try to convince them somehow that hey ignore everything that israel did to you and your families you may be the only one that survived they killed everyone else in your family and now you should just ignore that and um you know not use violence i mean how do you address those uh, issues as a society and what is that what is the message that you know about justice and these type of values i mean you know so the I guess mental health how do you address them and their mental health and try to convince them that violence is not the solution
2: well I doubt there's a more resilient people in the world than the people of Gaza and I think they've demonstrated that time and time again not just their ability to rebuild and pick up the pieces of shattered lives since 1948 again let's remember these are people that were uprooted violently from their villages and towns throughout the uh, uh, western coast and also the southern part of Palestine and fled into eight refugee camps in the Gaza Strip, and have been staying there and building their lives since, and and have gone through a tremendous trauma and violence uh, over that period of time, um, and and have yet kept their humanity and kept their, um, um, you know, their sense of justice, and also, you know, as somebody who goes there, I'm an American. I go into Gaza frequently. I uh, have been going there since 1988. Uh, I move around openly and freely in the streets, walking, driving to myself throughout the Gaza Strip. I've never had a single negative encounter with a single person there, despite the fact that every family in Gaza has uh, somebody who's been injured or killed, home destroyed, people in prison. And it's even worse now. I think I saw some kind of statistic the other day, and this is not to excuse violence, but they mentioned that the members of Hamas, you know, every single one of them virtually has had a a direct family member killed. And that, you know, unfortunately, that sense of hopelessness and anger and revenge may be in the hearts of these people. Um, And again, that we need to get past that. And it's not my place to come and tell people move forward uh, you know, and get past the loss of your children or your parents or your sister or brother or your wife or whoever, um, what will help people move on in a peaceful future is seeing that there is hope, finally, for this issue to be resolved in a just manner. We can't just keep acting like what happened in 1948 and what's happened since then, the denial of equality, the lack of freedom, and the inability to move around and live on their land as free people is not produce this level of resentment anger and resistance which will continue until this core issue is resolved finally and until it's resolved finally you can't say anything to anybody there other than you know you wish them the best and you hope that they find peace and that they are secure but you know i i'm not here to i can't go and i think it's irresponsible for me to say anything other than we're here to help heal your children and to show them love and compassion uh, in a way that indicates to you that your kids' lives matter, because the way they're being treated right now is if the, child, the lives of children, Gaza children, do not matter, they're disposable, they're statistics, they're just targets. And uh, and my job, and has always been my job, is to uh, is to undermine that um, that message of hatred and dehumanization by healing the lives and saving the lives of Gaza children, which I'll continue to do the, for the rest of my life.
1: Actually, Steve, I'm glad you mentioned the statistics because President Biden, unfortunately, was doubting the number of uh, Palestinians that are dead. And I just read that um, with the collapse of like 22 hospitals out of the 32 that are in uh, the Gaza Strip, how are uh, uh, people going to do more statistics on the number of injured and the number of uh, people who were killed? I don't know if your organization Uh, can follow or keep up or because the whole system the medical system collapsed uh, in gaza how are we going to know how many people died today and how many people are going to be killed tomorrow
2: you're probably not because that's the kind of data that only can be provided by a uh, you know an institution that is plugged in to all of the hospitals and all of the healthcare providers and uh, and you know PCRF doesn't have that uh, integration into the health system in which data collection on a daily basis is possible. Only the government can do that, um, and perhaps the world, UN or the World Health Organization. But you know these are billion dollar institutions, so they have the resources and the reach. But uh, really, it's the Ministry of Health, um, and um, we we can see today that uh, they were not able to provide statistics yesterday. And therefore, um, we fear that this was going to be um, uh, a continuous uh, kind of uh, carnage on the ground, which will not be adequately documented until the dust uh, settles and that there's some kind of uh, ceasefire or opportunity for, um, you know, the people who are keeping track of this data to provide that information.
1: Have you noticed any shift in the U.S. public opinion? And I'm not talking, of course, about uh, people uh, who are screaming no, see- no ceasefire, no ceasefire. But in general, it seems if you are, uh, like myself, always on Twitter and on TikTok, trying to get a gist of how the public opinion is, I am noticing that more and more young Americans are so aware uh, and um, understand uh, the origin of the problem. They don't uh, uh, see uh, the side of uh, Israel in this uh, conflict. They are sympathizing with the Palestinians and with the people. They're actually crying if you see uh, all these uh, TikTok videos, uh, short videos on, the, um, on Twitter and all social media. Do you sense that there is a shift in American public opinion?
2: I do. I think it's pretty obvious. And that shift has been pretty significant in very specific demographics, particularly among you, young Jewish Americans. Um, and we've seen the level of activism and resistance that they're now providing, nonviolent resistance um, to the ongoing genocide of, of the Gaza children in particular. Um, I think young people, uh, the, the the revolution of information that has taken place over the past 30 plus years since the Internet came into existence. Uh, when I first went to Palestine in the late 80s, um, there was no internet and the information about what was happening on the ground there during the first intifada, which was horrific. People were being killed every day. Civilians and children were being shot every day. Um, they were resisting nonviolently and being subjugated, subjected to one of the most harsh forms of military occupation in the world. And yet the world didn't know about it for the most part because information at that time was easily controlled through very specific and narrow sources. Um, today that's not possible Uh, everybody who has a phone in their hand has the ability to broadcast what is happening on the streets and in their lives to the rest of the world and something as graphic as the killing of hundreds of children every single day which is exactly what's been happening in gaza every single day over 100 children are being killed in the most brutal and inhumane manner often that number is much higher than that Um, It's very hard to keep that kind of information and that kind of graphic scenes of dead children being uncovered from rubble or being brought into hospitals in the arms of their grieving parents dead. Um, That's that's very emotionally impactful. And it's very hard for any uh, uh, for people who wish to deny that information to be accessible to the rest of the world. It's impossible for them to control it. And therefore, public opinion starts to change because at the end of the day, um, this is a human issue. Uh, this is an issue of, of, of people trying to survive and being brutalized. And, uh, you know, it, the government policies may not change, but certainly public opinion is changing and eventually public policy will change as well. We don't know when that will be or in what form. There's certainly a concerted effort to try to justify the killing of innocent children. There's certainly a concerted effort to try to justify the bombing of hospitals and the denial of food and water and so on. Um, but there is no ability to do it in a way that meets the human, the the level of uh, ethics and uh, morality that people try to conduct their lives by. We're still human beings. We still, I think, are good in our core nature for the most part. Most of us, we don't want to do harm. We don't want to see others harmed, and especially children. And what we've seen every day all over the world. In our, you know, on our screens, whether they're computer screens or television screens or phones, this constant uh, stream of death and destruction of innocent people, particularly children, is shaking to the core everyone's own consciousness and morality. And I think, therefore, that's put Israel in a very difficult situation because it's very hard to justify and to continue this kind of behavior and keep the world's sympathy in your favor.
1: I want to remind our listeners that we're talking to Steve Saseby, who is the president and founder of PCRF, uh, which is a primary humanitarian organization in Palestine delivering crucial life saving medical relief and humanitarian Aid, and it's a non-profit organization, uh, Steve, and it has a wonderful reputation. I was traveling in the Arab world, I just got back a few days ago, and I just want you to know that when people in the Arab world and in Europe are looking for ways to donate because they want to make sure that their money is going to the right places, the PCRF was on the top of the list being circulated on uh, WhatsApp, so I just uh, want you to know how much uh, people appreciate your work. And there is a fundraising happening in Tampa, in this town, if you really uh, want to help uh, these uh, children and uh, because this is where the specialty of PCRF is really to help uh, young people and children. and I can ask you later on about the project that you're working on, but tonight, uh, Thursday, November 16, 7 p.m., you can meet uh, Steve, and I think there is a comedian, American-Palestinian, Amir Zahir, will be there. It's uh, November 16, 7 p.m., Athletic Center. The address is 5905 East 130th Avenue, 5905 East 130th avenue in tampa and you can uh, go and listen to steve uh, talk more about the humanitarian uh, aid that they give to the palestinians uh, steve i if people go to youtube they will find you with many young uh, Palestinian children who have lost limbs and this is I think how you started you were a journalist you went to Palestine because you were a journalist you didn't go there because you were you were planning to work on hum- humanitarian aid can you can you tell us and tell our listeners how this whole thing started you were just an American traveling uh, during college years and then your life changed completely and you changed people's lives completely
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I've always, it actually isn't quite as innocent as that. I was always somebody who believed in social justice. I was always somebody who uh, believed that we have a responsibility and a duty as free people who are born in a society that gives us the right to speak out and determine our own lives, particularly myself as a white male American. I have the greatest privilege in the history of humanity that's ever existed. And that comes with responsibility of, uh, recognizing first the injustice of my privilege, uh, in which, you know, I've been elevated to this level of, uh, of, of certain rights and privileges that others don't have simply because not based on merit, but based on the color of their skin, the God they pray to the land they're born in or their gender. And therefore, um, I have a responsibility to stand with my brothers and sisters who don't have the same privileges by birth that I have and, and finding a way to, um, uh, uh, to use that responsibility effectively and in a way that heals. I'm not somebody who believes in violence or the use of force and violence when there's other opportunities to be even more effective when it comes to serving causes like justice and freedom. Um, when I was at university, the first Palestinian uprising began and I was always interested in politics and in history and and using that knowledge in a way to serve a cause of freedom and justice. And the Palestinian cause came into my heart. I don't know sh- exactly how it happened, but uh, maybe God put it there as something that resonated with me very deeply. And I read a lot about the history of Palestine and the struggle and the politics and and had an opportunity to go first as part of a student delegation of college uh, activists in December of 1988 during the first year of the first intifada and see firsthand on the ground what life was like for Palestinians and, um, and to experience uh, with them, uh, at least to see with firsthand uh, what occupation meant for them and also what resistance meant for them as well and how they kept their humanity, how they were hopeful for a better future, how they were unifying and sacrificing together to try to achieve the freedoms that I was born with due to the sacrifices of my ancestors. And so I did finish university and I went back to work as a journalist. It's true, but my work as a journalist was not just as a non-partial Uh, uh, you know, someone who wants to get both sides of the story, my job and my objective was to share the stories of everyday people on the ground in Palestine who I met and which Americans were not aware of, who were just trying to live, raise their children and get by and not being able to do so because of the political circumstances of living under military occupation. Um, And I thought, and I still believe true that as far as we can convey Those stories and those images to our brothers and sisters in the United States, the vast majority of people, uh, if we can open their eyes to this reality of how Palestinian civilians are living and struggling, I think the vast majority of Americans would be sympathetic. So that's the challenge. Now, um, I had the opportunity during the course of working as a journalist to meet injured children there um, who needed medical care. And I felt I wasn't doing my job as a human being if I was just doing stories on these children and then moving on to do a story about another child I had an obligation if you meet somebody who needs help particularly a child I think you have an opportunity you have an obligation to try to help that child so I started arranging free medical care for injured children from Palestine in the United States knowing American hospitals because of the structure of our private healthcare system would be able to treat these kids and uh, and was able to get several children uh, for treatment before I decided to start a nonprofit to facilitate that on a more regular basis uh, and that's how the organization started. And then we built it over time. Uh, I met a Palestinian woman. Um, she was a social worker. We got married, and together we built the organization for 17 years. The intifati, or the uh, Internet came, and that revolutionized communication and made organizations much more effective and efficient when it came to reaching donors and reaching uh, help and getting support and finding resources and organizing volunteers and just general communication. So we were able to utilize that new revolution in technology and in communications to benefit our growth um and then when my wife passed from leukemia in 29 2009 um, it brought a lot of attention to the human side of her and my work and building the organization and it, it, that growth also propelled us into doing more important work like building cancer hospitals and taking on bigger projects which would impact the quality of healthcare for children in Palestine on a much greater level. And over that time, we've tried our best to build an organization that's both effective and efficient and transparent that everybody can relate to and also gives people an opportunity to be a part of. And that's my main objective in life is to build an organization and to run an organization which empowers individuals all over the world, not just asking for money, but also getting people to be involved and getting them to give their time and efforts to make uh, our work on the ground possible. And that's how the organization's gone. Well, uh,
0: that wraps up our time today. We're really happy to have had you on, Steve Sosby of the um, uh, PCRF Palestine Children's Relief Fund. Best of luck to you, and uh, hope your staff stays safe in Gaza. Um, Steve will be in Tampa, is in Tampa tonight, Thursday, November 16th. Uh, doors open at 7 p.m. at the American Youth Academy, the Athletic Center there, which the address um, is 5905 East 130th Avenue. You can see Steve. Uh, they're doing a... get get more updates and um, meet him in person. There's also a Palestinian-American comedian, Amr Zeher, who will also be there traveling down uh, to provide support and uh, all the resources will be to help children in Gaza. Thank you so much for being on with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that wraps up our program today uh, for uh, True Talk on WMNF, uh, WMNF Tampa. After this, we're going to have the new show for headlines from WMNF called The Scoop. So stay tuned uh, for that right after this, that and um, more. So more great programming from WMNF. Um, See you at the same time, same place um, here at 88.5 or WMNF.org. And if you have any uh, questions or comments, you can always email us at truetalk at WMNF.org. Uh we're gonna leave you with some uh, music that some are picked out.
1: Hainahawat Medina
0: tulla kutsi Taraja Allah Happu Wafiku Lubitunya stautana till laharubu <laughs> Wa Hainahawat Medina tulkutsi Taraja
1: Alla Habpu Wafiku Lubitunya Stautana Tilla Harubu what this little feeling-